When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant, Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and his son Ishmael was 13. Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on that same day, and every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. Uh, hey, uh, my name's Brendan, and uh, we're going to keep on reading Hebrews 8, uh, chapter se- uh, verse 7 uh, to 13. Uh, it's on page 1189. 
For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for after. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man with his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. If we are to win the battle that is now going on around the world between freedom and tyranny, the dramatic achievements in space which occurred in recent weeks should have made clear to us all, as did the Sputnik in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make a determination of which road they should take. Since early in my term, our efforts in space have been under review with the advice of the Vice President, who's Chairman of the National Space Council, we've examined where we are strong and where we are not. Now it is time to take longer strides, time for a great new American enterprise, time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement, which in many ways may hold the key to our future on Earth. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important than the long-range exploration of space. I, Roger, in the presence of God, Take you, Leah, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise. You see, it's right that you laugh, right? Aspirational promises. I am married to a woman called Leah, by the way, 15 years uh, it was in June. Uh, I'm not 99, uh, neither was she. Uh, but when, when God promised to Abram that he would give him a child who would become an heir, who would be the beginning of a people God would make his very own, people who would know God, and so know God that they would reflect his lightness, they'd be like a light to the nations that didn't know God. Of course he laughed. 
Not just because he was old and crusty, but because the idea was just ridiculous. The promises that God makes to people who are kind of nobodies in the Bible, to people who are unimpressive on every level, are astonishing. And if he made them to, to you, it would be entirely appropriate for you to laugh, except for two things. Firstly, that it's God who makes these promises and he's good to keep his word. And secondly, he seals it with an oath of blood. God keeps his word and he seals it with an oath of blood. Now, uh, if you've walked in tonight, you might have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, This is the second in a series of talks from key themes across the Bible, examining kind of the big picture, zooming out from the Bible and seeing what God is doing from beginning to end. A divine harmony as we kind of draw some strands and notes from Scripture together. The key theme that we look at tonight is covenant. Now, you may think, what on earth is a covenant? I'm glad you asked. Uh, It's a promise. A covenant is a pact or a deal that people enter into. In this case, when the Bible talks about covenant, it's talking about a deal between God and people, his people. And like any kind of financial arrangement, any deal or contract, it's got stipulations. This is what you need to do. And these are the consequences. It happens over and over again in the story of the Bible. And unsurprisingly, because we're a church that worships and follows Jesus, we find that the big picture, the divine harmony that covenant is talking about, centers on Jesus, on God's word expressed in Jesus and God's blood poured out in Jesus. So you can trust the big promise that God is making tonight to you, that you will be his people, that you will be his person and that you will be individually and collectively, a light to the people that God is calling to himself in Jesus. You can trust God's word, even though it's ridiculous that you would be one of those people. You can trust it because God's word is true and he has sealed it with an oath of blood. Let me pray for us as we look through scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, uh, whose word is trustworthy and Uh, Even in our doubting, uh, you deign to seal your promise with an oath made in blood, uh, the blood of your son. We pray tonight as we uh, skip through your word and see this big picture of covenant from beginning to end. We pray, Lord, that we would know you better, uh, that we might live as the people you call us to be for the sake of your glory uh, and for the life of those who do not yet know you as Lord. Amen. Well, that's pretty much it. From beginning to end, God is a God who makes promises. You heard it with Abraham. Abram, Abraham, he gets his name changed to to show that he's the father of many nations. But he's not actually the first guy uh, that God makes a covenant with. Come with me and let's look at Noah, Genesis chapter 9. You got a Bible? Now's a good time to rip it open. Maybe not rip it, but get it open. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 9, we meet Noah. All sorts of things to say about whether the flood was real, how much of the earth it covered. Not going to deal with it tonight. All I'm going to look at is the word covenant. You want to talk about Noah and the flood and all that sort of stuff. I'm keen, 
just not now. Notice from Genesis chapter 9 that God makes a covenant. When he speaks, he's making a promise. Noah essentially just kind of comes out of nowhere. He's just a guy. And I want you to notice two things, that God makes a promise and there's blood involved. Genesis chapter 9. By the way, before Noah, everyone was vegetarians. I just love this chapter because we get to eat everything. Uh, Genesis chapter 9. God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Same promises to Adam and Eve. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, God has made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. When the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all life on earth. Did he get it? Look at the rainbow. Oh, it's a rainbow. God's not going to destroy the earth again with a flood. Blood was shed because every inclination of the heart of man grieved God and he destroyed that which was made in his own image. And so God makes a promise, never again. Never again will God go back to square one. And there's something to do with blood being shed. The promise of God confirmed with an oath and a sign that you remember it. We already read about Abraham. It's worth flicking forward a few pages to Abraham to just remind ourselves that God is a God who makes promises. And keeps them, even when the people involved are incapable of doing it. And you've got to to kind of feel this from the beginning. Nothing special about Noah, nothing special about Abram, nothing special about you. I'm sorry to say it. I mean, look around. Everyone thinks they're special, right? Your hair is better, your jeans are fancier, whatever it is. There's nothing special about you and me. We're one of billions on the planet. But God is a God who makes promises and those promises are the things that define us. Abram, it's Genesis chapter 17. 
Uh, it's the kind of recapitulation of a story that happened first in Genesis 12, when God calls Abram and says, I'm going to do this. God is the doer. And in chapter 15, the great story of God kind of sealing the covenant, like signing the deal, except it happens as the carcasses of animals are halved and on the ground. And God goes through as a smoking firepot to remind Abram that when God makes a promise, he seals it and there's blood involved. Just remember the words of the covenant, Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you, you'll be the father of many nations. It's easy to forget week by week that as we sit in church in Newtown, we're not the only Christians in the world. As we heard last week, God has a project from Eden to the great city of Revelation 21 to gather people from all nations. It's why we send missionaries to the ends of the earth. It's why, even though we hate it, we gladly send people out from our church. We miss them and we grieve the loss of relationship, but we know that God is establishing a kingdom. And so God promises to Abram, This is what I will do. And uh, if you read down to verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep, there's blood involved. Verse 11, you are to undergo circumcision. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, there's a line here that I really got to be careful not to cross, right? Um, You're allowed to smirk now. Uh, Circumcision involves the shedding of blood. Not a lot and hopefully not too much, um, but it's a permanent reminder of belonging to the people of God. In case you're wondering, it's not mandatory for Christians. Um, Romans chapter 2 makes it very clear that uh, when it comes to being God's people and there being an obvious sign, God cares more about the heart than about the outside. Religion cares about the outside. God cares about the heart. True circumcision, Romans 2, is circumcision of the heart. But the point from Genesis 17, the covenant with Abram, is God's going to keep his word to build this kingdom from a crusty 99-year-old who laughs and his wife who laughs, even though it seems very, very unlikely. So that's Abram. There's much more to say, and you can tell we're skipping through these things, but I want to take you to Moses. Generations after Abram is the man Moses. God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. What do they wipe on the tops of the door frames? The night they are saved from Egypt as God judges the blood of a lamb. Come with me to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. If you've got one of the church Bibles, you find Genesis, uh, Exodus 19 on page 73. Exodus 19, starting at verse 3. God is a God who makes promises. They're covenants. He speaks to very, very unlikely followers. People who, just like you and me, are stiff-necked and unlikely to keep any commands we're given. Look at the nature of the relationship here. God speaks. Moses went up to God, verse 3. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. That's one of Abraham's grandkids. And what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. That is, judged them. 
how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, are you ready for an aspirational promise? If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. So Moses goes back and summons the elders of the people and sets before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. Can you imagine saying this? We will do everything the Lord has said. Does it remind you a little bit of Jesus saying in Matthew 5, be perfect, for my heavenly Father is perfect. God says, you will be my people, a holy nation. And the people say, we'll do everything the Lord has said. And from Exodus 19, the story is one of failure, abject failure. God demonstrates who he is. He gives them a high calling, his law, which shows his character. How great it is to be a a people who know God, who live in a way that's beautiful to each other, where there's forgiveness. And Israel just, well, they're they're like you and me when we get given a high calling. Just flick a couple of pages forward to Exodus 24. God confirms that this is a covenant. Exodus 24. God's given the commandments. And you'll notice the echo in verse 3. Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws. They respond with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And you kind of meant to go, (laughs) like Abraham. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early in the next morning and built an altar, a pile of stones at the foot of the mountain, set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offering to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, that's the commands, the ten commands of God, and he read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. When God makes a promise, this promise is true. You're going to be my people. I will be your God and you'll be a light to the nations. You're meant to be perfect, to reflect who I am. And the consequence for failure is the spilling of blood. Right from the beginning. Now, we're going to flick over a lot of pages now. Uh, You heard in the New Testament that the covenant was to be a new covenant. That's promised in Jeremiah. So come with me to Jeremiah, page 783. 783, the quote that Brendan read out, good reading tonight, guys, the quote that Brendan read out from the Hebrews passage is a quote from Jeremiah 33. And can I say, if you've got time tonight before you go to bed, read Jeremiah 31, 32, 33. It's just 
a beautiful picture of God being committed to his people despite their inability to respond well to him. Jeremiah 31, I'm going to read from verse 27. It's down the bottom of the page in the church Bible. Jeremiah 31, page 783. At this point uh, in the kind of story of the Bible, the unfolding story, God's people have failed in every conceivable way to live as they were called to. Uh, They're like an unfaithful wife who keeps whoring around, coming back to her husband, and he keeps forgiving and saying, I'm still faithful to you. Jeremiah 31, verse 27. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will plant the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the offspring of men and animals, just as I watched over them to uproot and tear down, to overthrow, destroy and bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. In those days, people will no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, Everyone will die for his own sin. Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. And the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. To a faithless people, God promises, I will do it. I will make you mine and you will know me. And you'll notice that we read that everyone will die for his own sin. It's a reminder of the absolute folly of standing against the God who made us. Sin is rejection of our creator. Saying, God, you've told me how to live, but I know better than you. It's not just stupid, it's offensive relationally. And in the face of the God who creates, the right penalty for rejection of the God who made us is death. Spilled blood. And yet God says, I will be their God. That's Jeremiah. If you've got time tonight, read 31, 32, 33. And feel the commitment of God to his faithless people. We've heard that a covenant is a pact, a deal, a promise that God will have his people as his own. Uh, And I said from the very beginning that this is made most clear in Jesus. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at Luke chapter 22. Please come there. When we we celebrate the Lord's Supper together in a couple of weeks, uh, when we do our big picture of sacrifice, key theme across the Bible, sacrifice, We're going to hear about Jesus' blood being a sacrifice. Now, without stealing too much thunder. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 13. 
So verse 13 is right down the last line on page 1043. As we read this, uh, I want you to remember that God is a God who makes big promises, seals them with an oath in blood. The covenant that was old is dodgy because the people he made it to are dodgy. A new one's been promised in Jeremiah. And so Jesus' disciples, on the night he was betrayed, record this, Luke chapter 22, verse 13. They left, the disciples, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfilment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I won't drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. If you were sitting there as a disciple, even if you'd known Jesus for years, and they had, even if you'd seen everything that Jesus had done that no one else could do, that no one could do unless they were God, you wouldn't have got it. You wouldn't have grasped what Jesus is saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood? What are you talking about? It's maybe not a moment of laughing out loud, but at least you're going, Jesus, what are you on about? The story of God's commitment to his people is not just his promise of word, but it's sealed with an oath in blood. And it's no surprise that the proof we have of God's commitment to us is the blood of his son, Jesus. If you're not a person whose faith is in Jesus... Let me tell you this. The Son of God became a human being, took on flesh like ours, and his blood was spilled for you. He died instead of you to fix the great chasm that separates men from their creator when we turn our backs on him. There is no one who does not deserve death from God. There is no one faithful. There's just this picture in Luke 22 of how everyone around Jesus, even those who knew him best, desert him. Just glance across the page to 1045, to chapter 22. Look at Peter. Peter's like, he's the golden boy of the disciples. A bit of a mug sometimes. He's one of those guys who kind of says what everyone's thinking. But the picture that Luke paints of Jesus' death and his betrayal and his walk to the cross where his blood is poured out is that everyone deserts him. And I want you to pick up here the fact that this is personal. When you betray God who made you, it's personal. Just let me read to you from Luke chapter 22, verse 54. 
Seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw Peter seated there in the fire. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw Peter and said, are you also one of them? Man! I don't know if Peter was a black guy. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. I will never betray you, Peter says to Jesus. Lord, I will lay down my life for you. And three times before dawn. And the Lord looked straight at him and Peter wept bitterly. See, God is so determined to have a people who are his very own that when we are at our worst, when we are faithless, God himself is faithful. He will pour out the blood of his son to make sure that you know that he is committed to you when you're at your worst, not just when you're feeling good about yourself, not just when you've been reading your Bible or saying your prayers, but when you deny that God is for you. These things are fulfilled in Jesus. This covenant, this promise, this pact is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Again, there's one about kingdom in our sermon series. Jesus' ascension to the throne of his kingdom is the cross where his blood is poured out to seal the promise that God is faithful. And now at last we can come to Hebrews. Yes, Hebrews, our last destination tonight. If you're having trouble finding Hebrews, it's after all the books that start with T. And Hebrews paints this picture of Jesus as the one that God has set above all things. He's better than everything in the Old Testament. That's the summary of Hebrews. Jesus is better than everything. Better than Moses, better than the temple, better than some guy called Melchizedek. Jesus is better than everything because he's perfect and he sheds blood for those who are not. Have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 8. It's on page 1188. Hebrews chapter 8. The reading before was from verse 8. God found fault with the people. Notice, God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming when I'll make a new covenant. I'm not going to read it before. We read it in Jeremiah. Brendan read it again. Skip down to verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he made the first one obsolete. And what's obsolete and aging will soon disappear. And then chapter 9 talks about how the old stuff has been superseded by the new stuff. Chapter 9, 
Verse 7 talks about the high priest entering the inner room of the place where God was once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself because he was sinful and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The old was a shadow of what was made true in Jesus. What's the take-home point? Right down the bottom of page 1189, verse 14. What's the point of all that blood that was spilled? So when you look at Jesus, you say, verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So when you look at the cross, you're meant to see the price that God has paid, the blood of Christ, unblemished to cleanse us so that we're ready to serve. They're not two separate things, being forgiven and serving. They're the same thing. From the very beginning, God said, live perfectly. And everyone laughs. This is aspirational promise. God is aspiring for us to be in his image, loving one another, living as a light to the nations. And when you hear it, it's ridiculous because you can't do that. The take-home of covenant is for us to strive to be the people God has made us, not the people we were. We're new creations. How much more, how much more does this sacrifice work because it's Jesus' own perfect blood? The place to finish thinking about covenant is still in Hebrews, but It's a place where we raise our eyes to remember not just that God has made us his very own. Not only has God spoken a word of promise and sealed it with an oath, but that this is a promise not just for us who sit here. See, because blood has been spilled, because blood has been spilled, It's a reminder to us of the seriousness of rejecting the God who made us. And it's a reminder that that blood will be spilled one way or the other. Yes, let's not give up meeting together, Hebrews 10, 25, and reminding each other of these great things. But we can't say the big truths about God's commitment to us in his love without reading Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on ignoring God after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. How much do you think God hates it when people reject his own son that he gave in love? That's the point that Hebrews 10 is making. In verse 29, look at it. This is not just for you. This is for the people we know, the people you'll see tomorrow who are living lives rejecting Jesus. You You can't read this without feeling the weight of people. 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who's treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, who's insulted the Spirit of grace? 
It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The author of the Hebrews is writing, warning people who know Jesus not to take their eyes off him. But it's a warning to us as well that the cost of sin, the cost of rejecting God, is death. It's a cost that's being paid fully in Jesus and God is waiting to forgive. For us here, for you, as you stand before God, be assured of his commitment to you. You can't see the cross without knowing the depth of God's love for you. The application for tonight is not go and do this, but know who you are. You are cherished by God to the extent that he'll give up his son for you. And understand what Jesus faced on the cross is what the enemies of God face. And so we serve. We serve our world by living as a light to the nations. God has not only spoken his word of promise, but has sealed it with an oath. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us, uh, that your word is trustworthy, and that even for us who can't really believe that it's true, you've sealed it with an oath of blood spilled by your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you that you have shown us the depth of your commitment to have a people who are your very own, eager to do what is good. Uh, We pray that you would help us to live in the light of who you've made us to be and who you call us to be. Uh, We thank you that in the light of your promises we can live freely knowing who we are. And Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on many who do not know you. We pray that our lives might be an adornment to the message of the gospel. That many would see uh, how we live and recognise who you are because of it. Uh, We pray for wisdom, Lord, this week to live as your people and to speak words of life to those who are perishing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.